tonight, and uh, we'll get into this. Um, let's see here. Brother Steve uh, Anderig, would you go ahead and pray, brother? Appreciate it. Amen. So we've we've done kind of like an overview of Ephesians, and then uh, and then if you remember a couple Sunday nights, I think it was ago, or maybe it was a Wednesday night or something. I did I did uh, I did more of a practical overview of the book of Ephesians, and if you want some of that information, um, some of the information that I went over in that sermon, not all of it obviously, but the uh, general outline uh, is in a is in a book. Uh, entitled Sit, Walk, Stand, and the author's name is Watchman Nee. And uh, it's, I think it's probably like an 85, 90-page book. And uh, it is a, it's a, it's a fantastic book. Um, you have to be careful. Some of the stuff, he's a little, he, he'll get a little bit charismatic on you sometimes. But um, for the most part, the practical stuff that's in his, his writings is, is, is really good. So... Um, I've given I've given that book out to youth in the past, and um, you know I read it when I was in Bible college, and I've probably read it five, six, seven, eight times, I think, uh, when it's all said and done. But uh, that's kind of the just those two o- overviews of the book. Uh, we'll get into some more specifics here this evening. I think we did get through the uh, the introduction uh, part or the salutation from Paul in the first uh, few verses, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, uh, to the faithful in Jesus Christ, grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings uh, in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, we did do verses uh, 1 through 3, and we uh, understand that the uh, spiritual blessings that he's talking about, uh, he ends up listing those uh, in, the, in the preceding verses. And those are some of those same, you know, T-I-O-N words that I think pastors probably gone over in the book of Romans uh, with uh, redemption and adoption and all those kinds of things. And, and we may hit a couple of those things just uh, to reiterate um, uh, they're, they're, they're prevalent in Paul's writings. But let's uh, take verse number four. Tonight we're going to go ahead and do the dive into, uh, into the predestination and election. Um, if you were here some time ago, we did do uh, a lesson on Calvinism. And on our way through, we did you know, a couple of different uh, cults and stuff. We did Calvinism. We did uh, Campbellites or Church of Christ. That's the baptismal regeneration folks. And, and so, <clears throat> but we'll go ahead and hit this because this is, again, one of the the main passages that uh, Calvinists go to to prove their doctrine of, um, of predestination and election or their interpretation of what the words predestination and election mean in your Bible. And uh, we'll try to give you some context to that uh, here tonight. So let's read a few verses and then we'll go ahead and exposit a couple things here. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now that's, that's a, that's a hang-up right there, right? Before the foundation of the world. That is, okay, He's chosen us before the creation of this world. So that, in their essence, is the definition of predestination. 
Now, the, the thing that, that trips everybody up, he says, he hath chosen us. Right? So Paul, including himself in that statement, we were chosen, right, uh, before the foundation of the world. That not, it says, well, chosen for what? End of the verse. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay? So we see that. Now let's continue. Now verse 5 tells us what we're talking about. Having predestinated, right, defines what predestination was in verse 4. Gives you the term that, that he's using in verse number 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, as it has pleased God, God, before the heavens and the earth and all that good stuff, he has chosen who is going to be adopted into his family and who is not. Okay, that's, that's the teaching. And could you, I mean, could you sympathize with it? Some of you in here, you're well versed in this and you could probably teach it better than I can. But the fact of the matter is, if you were somebody that came to this passage, right, could you not read that into the passage? You're just being honest? If somebody were to come up to you at work, and I've had, you know, Presbyterians and stuff like that, a lot of folks that you see um, that uh, are, you know, they teach the doctrine of, uh, you know, Calvinism and that kind of thing. I've had them come up to me and, and stuff, and they throw some of these verses at you, and you're like, well, yeah, well, that's not what it means, you know. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, that's about, that's about as far as you take it. You're like, oh, yeah, well, you're dumb. How about that? You know, that's kind of their rebuttal. Um, well, as you know, um, and, 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 you know, I don't think anybody does it better than Dr. Ruckman did it. His, his, uh, his method of teaching was he would teach you what the other side taught. And then by the time he was done, you're like, oh, man, we're in trouble. <laughs> you know, because he'd teach it better than they could. And then he'd say, well, this is about the dumbest thing. And you're like, yeah, that's real dumb, you know, because you kind of were following along there for a minute. And then he would, you know, just, just uh, systematically dismantle the teaching from the text. So uh, I'm not saying I can do that very well, but I'm trying to show you where they draw the conclusions in the text, right? It's not hard to, not hard to connect those dots, if you will. Verse 6, To the praise uh, of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, that's, now that, what well, you have to understand, that verse right there, and we'll get into it further, but uh, the New Bibles, they like to attack that verse. Because if there was uh, ever an important question to be answered, that would be, how in the world do I get accepted by God? Right? So a lot of your Catholic Bibles and a lot of your other perversions, they'll like to attack verse number 6 because it's pretty, it's pretty clear in verse number 6 how it is you're accepted by God. Okay? Verse 7, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood..." That is that redemption word we spoke about. "...the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace..." This is the second time His grace is mentioned in this, in this uh, set of verses here. "...wherein He hath abounded uh, toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will..." According to his own good pleasure. Now here's there, there's another there's another one right. According to his own good pleasure, however it pleased the Lord to predestinate whoever he wanted to, 
who are we to question His good pleasure, right? There's some, there's some you've, you know the passage, uh, that there are some vessels under honor and some vessels unto dishonor. You see that? And He hath placed every member in the body as it hath pleased Him. The good pleasure of His will. So all of those verses I just quoted to you are connected back to predestination and the definition that they give you for predestination is you were chosen to be adopted into the family of God before the foundation of the world. Okay, let's continue because it's mentioned again here uh, in the uh, next couple of verses. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, uh, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, and here's this thing again, after the counsel of his own will. Okay? So between this passage we just read, okay, keep your hand there, but then take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. What chapter are you guys in Romans right now with Pastor? Five? Okay, so I'm getting a little bit ahead, but he'll probably touch it again when he gets to eight. Okay, <laughs> uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Of course, a verse everybody should know and be able to quote. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. This is a Calvinist proof text. If you wanted the definitive passage on predestination, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30 is the one. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow. Here we go. So there's another word thrown into the primordial word soup that we're talking about. What is that? That is predestination. That is election. That is um, foreknowledge. You see? So these are some of the things, uh, the good pleasure of His will. Those are some statements thrown in. Before the foundations of the world, okay? These are all things, these are all buzzwords, okay? For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom He did predestinate, to them He also called, and whom He called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Right? And what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So these are the definitive passages to teach us what predestination is. And we are to, at face value, take these statements and come to the infinite conclusion that you and I, if we're in here tonight, have been chosen by God uh, before the foundation of the world to be saved. It had nothing to do with your choice. It had nothing to do with uh, you hearing anything or making a decision. Because if we could, just for a moment, um, go over, you know, what is it that, you know, Calvinists teach and believe? It's important for you to understand that. Um, this, is a, this is actually a doctrine that creeps into churches and, um, and is something that you need to be aware of. But... Um, it comes from five basic points. Sometimes you'll hear, well, that, that's so-and-so. If you read Dr. Upman's stuff, you'll say, well, so-and-so is a five-point Calvinist, right? That's because the, the teaching of Calvinism comes from five basic points. And the, uh, you know, the, um, the, what is it, the little abbreviation for it is called TULIP. And that stands for total depravity, 
unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the preservation or uh, perseverance, whichever one you feel like saying, of the saints. Okay, so the total depravity, meaning that you are so depraved that there's nothing inside of you that can seek or make a decision towards God because you are so darkened by sin, you cannot make a decision uh, to choose the Lord because you're so depraved. The total depravity of man. Okay, the unconditional election. That means you cannot resist God's election. If you are elected of God, you will be overtaken in that at some point in time. And you will then know, God will reveal to you that you are one of His elect. And you cannot resist that. That is not because you are predestinated before the foundation of the world to be saved. So that is the election. God elects you like you're the lucky one off of the, uh, you know, the, win the, win the uh, eternal lottery. And he pulls you out of this little bingo thing and your number's called and hooray, you're elected. Okay, and then you have limited atonement. Now, this is, this is another dangerous one because um, you're going to, as we read over there in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So, according to the teaching of Calvin, the blood of Jesus Christ was not shed for all mankind. The blood was shed for a select few. So the atoning power of the blood of Jesus Christ is limited to this pool of elected people that God predestinated before the foundation of the world. Does that make sense? You can shake your head because my description of it is so vivid. But does it make sense? You're like, well, that's a trick question, right? <laughs> but uh, um, And then uh, irresistible grace, right? Unconditional irresistible grace. You cannot, once the, once the grace of God, once you realize that you're elected, the grace of God overtakes you and there's this, uh, I don't know, slays you in the spirit or something like that. It's hard for me to even, you know, go through it. But uh, some, some of the, uh, and of course, uh, the last one, uh, the preservation or perseverance of the saints. This is a lot of times what, uh, when, when Bible believers teach us to say, well, this is the one point of Calvinism that I agree with. Well, I, I kind of push back on it a little bit because it's, it's taught from a, a premise of heresy, so I don't necessarily agree with it. But that's basically the fact that if you're elected, you can't lose it, right? What you find out in the earlier teachings of John Calvin, though, is that he, um, he still um, thought that you had to endure to the end. But then that thing was challenged and changed, and now it's that you're preserved until the end. You don't have to persevere, but rather you're preserved until the end. So, because they'll take those, those verses in Matthew and, and that kind of thing where you have to, you know, endure to the end and all that kind of stuff, and they would take that literally as well. And so, you know, that's a way to, you know, lord over somebody's salvation and, and that kind of thing. Which you have to understand, have you anybody in here ever been around somebody that's, uh, that uh, has said the term, or the phrase, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Anybody ever heard that before? Raise your hand you heard that before. Okay? That's a common thing that people say. 
Now, there's one thing I feel like we're always coming up against when we're in these kind of lessons going verse by verse, and that is kind of challenging the stupid cliches that people shoot their mouth off, you know, and they don't even really know where it comes from. It's just, you know, they just heard it and it sounded good and they kept saying it. And this, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That's, that's a doctrine called lordship salvation. And uh, a lot of Calvinists... Uh, can take, can take that, and that's how they basically become fruit inspectors. And it's this basic thing, well, if you were elected of God, you wouldn't be doing this, 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 and this. Now, does that make sense? So, sorry, Kirk Cameron and whatever the crap his other name is, or I'm not supposed to say crap, I can't say that. That's not good to say. Ray well, Comfort. Ray Comfort. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Those two guys. Yeah. Now you say, when you say at the foundations of the world, when he, he said he picked you, I, I always heard it was that he, he already knew that you were going to be saved. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I in the right direction? So, so, here's, so here's the thing. Here's the pushback on that. Well, he already knew it, right? Which is true. But then what we have to reconcile is foreknowledge, and predestination, right? And then you have, to, you have to figure out where election fits into that. Because does God know the end from the beginning? Does He reside outside of time? And time as we know it is this little blur that's you know in eternity, and God can see the end from the beginning. Well, if that's the case, in His foreknowledge, yes. God knows who's going to get saved and who doesn't get saved. But the question is, did He overtake your free will and elect you and predestinate you without any response on your part at all? That's the question. And so that is the premise of Calvinism. The premise of Calvinism is, yes, the foreknowledge and predestination is the same thing, and whether you like, it doesn't matter what decisions you make, God is already taking care of it, and He already knows what's going to happen, and your free will means nothing. It's an overriding of your free will. Okay? That is the, that is the, that is the premise of it. Okay? But we see that um, uh, Calvinism, a couple other names for it is hyper-Arminianism. Um, and... <coughs> That's you'll you'll see it known as um, the full gospel fellowship, right? Uh, let's call it the sovereignty the sovereignty of God or sovereign grace. You know, um, a lot of hyper dispensationalists get into that and they become somewhat Calvinistic in their beliefs. Um, and so those are just some terms that you should be careful of because everybody's heard of the full gospel, like full gospel fellowship or something like that. A lot of those guys are five point Calvinists, right? Um, any, anything Arminian, uh, the Presbyterian Church, a lot of Methodist Church uh, is uh, is Calvinist. I mean, I mean now, I mean you find Baptists that are that are at least three point Calvinists, you know that kind of thing. I've talked about them before, but there's a there's a Maranatha Bible Church or something down on Troy Street. I've told you that story before. Uh, I mean that guy's a five point Calvinist, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Just wild, but but anyways, some of their beliefs they believe in sprinkling babies. Uh, they idolized uh, Saint Augustine. 
They denied the literal millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's no, they don't believe in a millennium. They don't believe in the rapture. They don't believe in the Antichrist uh, when it comes down to uh, prophecy. Um, let's see, uh, they deny that all sinners have the capacity to repent and believe on Christ. Because you're so totally depraved, you do not have the capacity to repent of your sins and to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they taught that God damned sinners to hell before they were born. Now, listen, if you know anything about Bible, these are, these are outlandish statements that are very easily refuted. Okay? Um, they actively persecuted people who disagreed with them back in their day. And uh, conversion begins with a new birth before repentance or belief. That's their fundamental teaching. Now, here's what you find out, though. If these are the definitive statements of said group, you will undoubtedly run into the person that has no idea what their said group actually believes. And so what they've done is they've morphed it into some, you know, hybrid of what they think and what they feel and this basic premise of predestination. Uh, but Calvinism teaches that, actual Calvinism teaches that conversion is started by a new birth that is not initiated by repentance or belief. The new birth precedes your repentance. The fact that you repent is evidence that you've been born again. The fact that you believe is evidence that you've been born again. That is the teaching. Okay? So, it's, again, quite interesting how they arrive at that conclusion, but that is the conclusion they arrive at nonetheless. Okay, so go back to Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. Now again, when we deal with the issue of foreknowledge, that is self-explanatory. Um, foreknowledge, though, does not, does not disprove the teaching of free will. Now, you get that back in the garden. You get that in Genesis, right? You get Genesis and the knowledge of the tree, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, why in the world did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? If He were just going to predestinate Adam before the foundation of the world, do you see the problem with that? If God predestinated everybody from the foundation of the world, that means Adam was predestinated before the foundation of the world. Well, if in Adam all die, well then, was Adam in Christ? And then once he fell, he fell out of himself? And then the Lord killed those animals and clothed them, and then, you know, he was able to go back in himself? <laughs> you see the problem with that? Yet for as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, therefore death, death passed upon all men, so that all have sinned. Right? We all bear the image of Adam. Well, was Adam in Christ or not? You see? Okay? So, this, this, this thought process of uh, um, foreknowledge, meaning that God has predestinated you, uh, well, it starts back in the garden, that can't be so. He puts the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden for one reason only. And that is that Adam's decision 
to follow what the Lord said and, and maintain fellowship with the Lord was predicated on his decision to stay away from that tree. It was a conscious decision that Adam had to make whether to take part of that tree or not. And that shows the doctrine of free will. It does not show the doctrine of so-called election or predestination. Okay? So, um, again, the, uh, the predestination thing, uh, and as far as foreknowledge is concerned, yes, God knows who's going to get saved because He sees the end from the beginning. But the question is, what does predestination have to do with foreknowledge? Well, nothing. Okay? So what does he say back in, in Romans, in Romans uh, chapter 8? He says, those he did foreknow, right? He also did predestinate. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Uh, it's important to know that in either one of these passages, in Romans chapter 8 or in Ephesians chapter 1, that any time that word predestination shows up, it has nothing to do with individual salvation. He's not showing you how an individual gets saved. Okay? Uh, it appears three times in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 1, um, like we talked about, and then here. Uh, and in neither case is anyone predestinated to be saved. Um, it's, it's connected to, uh, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, he shows you what it's connected to when he mentions it in verse 5. Um, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Right? It's a doctrine of adoption, not salvation. Adoption is a byproduct of salvation. Adoption is not salvation in and of itself. Does that make sense? The how do you get adopted into the family of God? You get saved. Those are two different things. Okay? So the easy way to combat this whole thing is, is, is mainly context. Right? We talk about context uh, as far as when you have a difficult passage... Who is talking? Uh, when are they talking? Who are they talking to? Right? All that kind of stuff. The context of what it is they're talking about. Okay? So, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, okay, uh, according to the uh, good pleasure of His will, um, Look in verse, oh, let's see here. Look in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful, look at that, what he says, in Christ Jesus. Look in verse 3. Blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? In Christ, right? Look in verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things where? In Christ. Okay, look in verse 12. That we should be to the praise 
of His glory who first trusted where? In Christ. Look at verse 20. Which He wrought where? In Christ. What is the context of predestination? The context of predestination is being in Christ. You see that? Go back to Romans chapter 8. It's all, the devil's always in the details. Now this is what differentiates a Bible believer from somebody who just you know, flippantly uh, you know, reads their Bible or has an opinion about things. Is that, you know, we don't just take a verse and take a fit. Look in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are what? Oh, so you mean the whole context of Romans chapter 8 is having no condemnation in Christ? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> Look in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. You see? I had this all marked uh, in my other Bible. But uh, it's all throughout here. I don't have them marked in this Bible. I have to read through each one. What you find out... Uh, In the Spirit, in verse 9. Christ be in you, verse 10. Uh, raise up Christ from the dead, verse 11. As soon as I go, now we see the Spirit of God. See, this is why you don't study out of three or four different Bibles. <laughs> so uh, I guess what, when it, what you end up doing is you just go through this uh, verse 39 nor no height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate from the love of God the end of the context it starts with in Christ and where does it end which is in Christ Jesus our Lord you see that all of the blessings that he's talking about the, the blessings of of redemption, the blessings of adoption, the blessings of uh, just uh, the fact that there's now no condemnation, that's your salvation. All of those things are predicated on the fact that you are in Christ Jesus. Now, the way that we, I try to unravel this thing is the, uh, the, the, term, uh, the term predestination is attached to the fact that you're in Christ and it's not just now that it's attached that you're in Christ, but he also uses the term, what we talked about, before the foundations of the world, right? Remember that? Go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. So again, what you have to do is take each one of these terms and run them and see what the Bible says about them, and it'll give you some light. So, Proverbs chapter 8, look at what it says here. Doth not wisdom cry, understanding put forth her voice? This is verse 1. 
She standeth at the top of the high places by, uh, uh, by the way and the place of the path. She crieth at the gates and the entry of the city. At the coming in at the doors unto you, O men, I call unto my voices the sons of man. O ye simple ones, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be of an understanding heart. Okay? So there's this woman, uh, and this woman is personified as wisdom. Okay? Doth not wisdom cry? So wisdom is personified as a woman. Uh, look at this, verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Okay, look in verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way before His works of old. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Okay. Verse 23, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning, or ever the earth was. Oh, we're getting closer. <laughs> Verse 24, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When they were, look at this, no foundations abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth. When he established the clouds above the strength and the fountains of the deep. When he gave to the sea his decree and the waters and the past his commandment. When he appointed, what does that say? The foundations of the world. So whoever wisdom <laughs> is, was there before the foundations of the world. And wisdom, look at this. Uh, excuse, uh, verse... 30. Then I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth. My delights were the sons of men. Okay? Um, and uh, what you find out is that this person here is, 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 uh, is told to have... Uh, helped with creation, go to John chapter 1. And I can't think of the, act I can't think of the exact verse in, in Isaiah right off the top of my head. But it's a, prophetic, it's a prophetic chapter in Isaiah. And he talks about, you know, mine elect. Oh, man. It's going to kill me. I'm going to, I'm going to break my forbidden rule here. I use my, my quick concordance. Got to do it. Mm. Could be it. It's one of them. Where where you at? 45? 
Yeah, so verse 4 of that. Um, he, calls, he calls Israel, he says, Israel, mine elect, right? But then, there we go, verse, it's 42. Sorry, get my, get my head all. I'm trying to do some of this off memory, forgive me. I wasn't participating on going down this road, but this is a road we're going down. Uh, chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom, uh, whom I uphold, look at this, Mine elect, look at this, in whom my soul delighteth. You have to understand, all these words connect stuff, right? We're talking about election, and we're talking about before the foundations of the world. And when you, when you, and you take that thing back to Proverbs chapter 8, okay, what does he say in Proverbs chapter 8? Um... 31, rejoicing in the habitable part of this earth, my delights were the sons of men. Okay, um, uh, talking about he was, he was with the Lord before the foundation of the world. Um, he says, I was, verse 30, then I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight. And then Isaiah tells you whom his soul delighteth in. That's his servant. That's prophetic of Jesus Christ right there. And then you get John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Well, who's the Word? Personified is Jesus Christ. Where's God's wisdom? Well, it's His book. What is the woman called in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom. And so, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and with Him, uh, and without Him was nothing, uh, was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. So who is it? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Who was before the foundations of the world? Okay, and what does Isaiah tell us? Who was elected... Before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ was. Has nothing to do with you guys as individuals in your salvation. Has nothing to do with you at all. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm trying to get this ship back on track here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Okay? What is that? That's a spiritual baptism. Where are you baptized into? You say, does that have to do with water? No. He told you. By one Spirit. That's a spiritual baptism that takes place when you get born again. Right? Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized, he says, into one body, and then he says it again and gives you more light on it here in Galatians chapter 3. Been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. 
Okay, so here's the deal. You ready? Here's the, the tall and skinny of it. Who was predestinated and elected before the foundation of the world? Scripturally, it's a no-brainer. It's Jesus Christ. Now, where do you fit into that equation? Well, how do I know if I'm elect? You want to know how you know if you're elect? You say, Lord, I want to be elect. Will you elect me? He says, yeah, sure. If you elect Jesus Christ, you're, you're now, what does he say back in Romans, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6. Or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, look at this, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. You are accepted and elected into the Beloved when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ by what? Grace. By grace through faith. And so, when you, get, when you put on Jesus Christ at your spiritual baptism that takes place at your salvation, you are then, you put on Jesus Christ, you are now bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh, and now all of the promises that God uh, uh, had for Jesus Christ and all the predestination, if you will, um, uh, of Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, you're now a part of it. Well, then the question is, well... For what purpose? Right? Predestination. What is, the, what is the purpose of predestination then? Well, when you get the verses in the right spot, you find out what He wants for you. Back in Romans chapter 8, I know we've been back and forth there. You don't have to turn there again if you don't want to. Verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. For what purpose? To be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what He wants for you. He wants you to be conformed into the image of His Son. And you want to know something? One of these days, that's exactly what's going to happen. You see that? One of these days, you're going to be exactly like Jesus Christ. That's what you're predestinated to be. Glorified uh, in heaven with God. And one of these days, that's exactly what's going to happen. You were given the earnest of the Spirit. What is that? The Holy Spirit. That's God's down payment. And what's the rest of the context of, of, uh, of uh, what is one of the main themes of the book of Ephesians? It says that you are seated, where? In Christ, in heavenly places. You know that? So one of these days, your predestination will become complete because no matter what happens to you on this face of this planet... You, if you're in Christ, you're predestinated to be conformed to God's image one day. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. When I teach eternal security, I teach the doctrine of predestination. Because nothing teaches the doctrine of eternal security better than predestination. It's impossible for you and I to get out of Jesus Christ. God would have to unravel everything He did in Christ before the foundation of the world for you to get out of Him. You understand that? You think God's going to do that? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's one of the strongest ways to teach eternal security. The problem was John Calvin couldn't get the light on the thing, right? Uh, none of those places are talking about, uh, talking about predestination uh, has anything to do with the new birth, right? As far as Romans 8.28 is concerned, he says... Uh, 
All things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. That doesn't show that God, uh, His His will and His purpose is uh, for you to be saved or uh, for you to be elected, or if, if you're you know are lucky enough to get elected by Him, and that was just the, the pleasure of His will. That has everything to do with um, the the debt and disease and, and discouragement and destruction of property that happens to saints of God for, as the Bible says, in God's eyes, His children's good. You see that? You say, how do you know that? Context. Context is how you know that. Romans chapter 8, the end of the chapter, He tells you exactly what He meant by it. Romans 8 Start in verse, uh, you should be able to quote it. I'm running off fumes here. Go to 35. Uh, 35. Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we were killed all the day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. That's where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. It's as clear as day. And that's the beauty of when you get the things in the book in the right order, in the right dispensation, in the right place, and they all come together and you're like, that's a blessing, man. God, that's how you know God's in that. You Listen, you got that thing, that, that teaching spans from Genesis all the way throughout. And you go there and you pick up, okay, you see the, you see the, you see the, the association of the word delight. What did that do? That one word delight in Proverbs chapter 8, connects it to Isaiah chapter 42, right? Which connects it to Jesus Christ. It's a prophetic chapter of Jesus Christ. And then you take it to John chapter 1 and you realize that Jesus Christ was there and nothing was made that was made without Him. So He has a part of creation, which then ties it back to uh, the found, before the foundations of the world. That goes back to uh, uh, Ephesians. It goes back to Romans. And it ties it to Proverbs chapter 8. And so now you know who's predestinated before the foundation of the world. And then you see the context of the chapter. You see in Christ. And then you, and then you reference that back with another, another doctrine, which is spiritual baptism. And you go, oh, that's how you get in Christ. And Jesus Christ is His elect. So all those words are defined scripturally. And they're all connected together, and they fit in order. And man, when you put them in order, you don't have to make it say anything. It's as clear as day. That's the beauty of the book, folks. And that's why, and that is why he says, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Because how are you going to get that one time through? <laughs> I, I mean, that's just, that's just the way this thing is, Right? Go to Hebrews chapter 12 real quick on this, on this thing of uh, God using things in your life. Hebrews chapter uh, 12. In verse 4. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. 
And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son in whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye were without chastisement, uh, whereof are you partakers? Then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers in our flesh, which corrected us, and have, we have given them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, verily, for a few days chasteneth, uh, chasteneth us for their own pleasure, but, for our, uh, uh, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. You see that? Those things that work together for our good is not showing us anything about salvation. It's showing us, it's showing us a, practical, a practical principle that, the God, that God has for our lives. And that is when things and trials and difficulties and problems arise in our life, what's He doing? He's trying to make us partakers of His holiness. Verse 11, Now no chastening for the, for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That's the purpose of it. You see that? God allows things in your life, and it's not because oh, it was before the foundation of the world and all this. No. Those are for your benefit. You see that? Yeah, and there's an allowance that, that the Lord does, and you see that back in the book of Job, and he allows things to take place and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when you, when you start getting to this predestination stuff, you've got you to gotta realize the predestination stuff starts and ends with Jesus Christ. And you read that thing in anywhere else, you're going to get yourself messed up. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. A couple other things on this, just some practical things, right? Because uh, we understand if you have a common sense understanding of the Bible... The teaching of Calvinism just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Verse 5, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Look in John chapter 8, if you will. John chapter 8. Am I moving too fast? Is everybody following it so far? Okay. John chapter 8. Look in verse 44. Why do you not understand the speech? Verse 43, even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Okay? Okay, he's talking, he says... Ye are of your father, the devil. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. So the danger, what I'm trying to show you now, is the danger of reading in your doctrine into the verses means that you're leaving, you're leaving, you're not considering all the other uh, doctrinal problems you're causing in other places of the Bible. Right? Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and he says, You're of your father, the devil. Okay? Look in Galatians chapter 4. 
Um, look in verse 3. Even, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see that? What did He say? Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. Well, who's the God of this world? The devil. And who did, who did Jesus Christ address in the Pharisees? Their father, the devil. If you were predestinated before the foundation of the world, how could your father be the devil? If you, were, if you were predestinated before the foundation of the world to be in Christ, how in the world could the devil be your father? Well, that just doesn't make any sense. And, you're well, and your silence is, is the right answer. <laughs> right? Um, look in, uh, let's see here. There's something else I want you to see. Uh, let's, uh, I'm going to pick a couple of these out. Back in Ephesians chapter number 1. Look at the end of verse 5. He says, the good pleasure of His will. Right? Look in verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will. Verse 11. Uh, to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His will. You know how many times, uh, uh, how many times it's mentioned here in, uh, in just... Ephesians chapter 1, the will of God, God's, God's will, God's will, God's will, right? They use that phrase, His will, the good pleasure of His will, to show how He elects. And that's just however it pleases the Lord. It's just according to His will. Well, here's the problem. God tells us what His will is <laughs> when it comes to the souls of mankind. He also has a lot to say about His will for His children in a practical Christian living sense. But He tells you exactly what His will is when it comes to the topic of lost men and women. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Look at this. Not willing that any should perish. Well, you just must mean not willing that all should, not willing that, you know, a select few should perish. No, He said not willing that any should perish, but that some should come to repentance. Or that the elect should come to repentance. No. He says, but that all should come to repentance. What is that? That's the will of God. That's the good pleasure of His will. So, in Calvin's teaching, is that you cannot resist the grace of God. That's his teaching. Irresistible grace. That is something that is done before the foundation of the world. You can't do anything about it. So, the Lord Jesus Christ stands over Jerusalem, right? 
and with a heavy heart he sighs and utters the words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. How would I have gathered you like a hen gathereth her chicks, but you would not. He says, my will was that I gather you like a hen gathereth her chicks. But what interrupted God's will? Their will. But ye would not. But ye would not. Just be honest with yourself. When you read the Old Testament, and all the times that God, He says here that He's long-suffering toward us, not when the nation perish, He's long-suffering. How much long-suffering did He have to the nation of Israel? Who, as Brother Joe pointed out in uh, chapter 45, is called... Uh, God's elect. Because if there was ever a nation that was elected, it was the nation of Israel. Right? But what is the significance of that, Brother Joe? Well, how many times does he have to say in Pauline doctrine there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek? Right? Their nationality has nothing to do because you're in the church age right now. If you were in the Old Testament or if you're in the tribulation, being a part of Israel is a big deal. You see? Now, uh, the, the fact of the matter was is that he'd send these prophets and he'd preach to them and preach to them and preach to them. And you know what they do? They resist. He says, why do you always resist the Holy Ghost? Why always resist the Holy Ghost? Well, how in the world can you resist the Holy Ghost if you're totally depraved and His grace is supposed to be irresistible? You see, it doesn't work out. <laughs> that is the problem. It does not, it does not work out. Let's, uh, oh, I'm going to see where I want to go here. Verse 6, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The uh, Jesuit Bibles remove accepted in the Beloved. Even though every English Bible, as Dr. Upman's note, he says, every English Bible from Tyndale to the KJV had it in it. And the purpose of that is it destroys one of the greatest theological truths in the entire Bible. And that is uh, how a sinner becomes accepted by God. And you realize that you become accepted by God. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, For by grace ye are saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you're, you're, you're saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, and that makes you accepted in the Beloved. It's not by works. Right? Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Okay? He's rich in mercy. Um, <clears throat> it's important for the Christian to understand that your life is not dictated, uh, your, your, your uh, position with Jesus Christ is not dictated about, uh, on your works. We talked about that um, in, the, in, the doc, in the practical premise of uh, the book of Ephesians when we preached there on that Wednesday night, right? And that is the first, the first thing he tells you to do and shows you to do in the book of Ephesians is to sit. That is to sit down, right? Don't get ahead of yourself. 
just, just go ahead and, and learn to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing you can do to improve on that. He's always there to receive you. Right? And as he say, he say in another place there, he says, uh, he says, though, though, um, you deny, though you deny him, he says he can't deny you because he can't deny himself. Right? Even if you believe not, it doesn't even matter. He cannot deny himself. He can never look at you and say, depart from me, you curse, I never knew you. Because he does know you. Right? In uh, verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Go to Colossians chapter 1 for a cross-reference. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is important that you understand. When, when somebody removes the blood, right, from these verses which is, is, is uh, not uncommon for them to do, you attack the type that goes all the way through the Old Testament. Okay? Now you have to understand that just like uh, predestination and election and foreknowledge, all of these terms have meanings and they're not all the same. So you have um, you know, words like um, redemption and remission, and adoption, and those things are not all the same. Remission and redemption are two totally different things, right? We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Go to, um, go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, look in verse 15. And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that's the Old Testament, they which, were, uh, they which are called might have the promise of eternal inheritance. Of eternal inheritance. You know what you find out? You find out that... Uh, that um, the blood of bulls and goats can by no means uh, take away sin. Look in verse 11. But Christ, being uh, come as a high priest of good things, to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered, into, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us all. Eternal redemption. If you see the, the problem with the Old Testament, he tells you exactly what the problem was. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to get you the right, the right verse. Verse uh, 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always in the first tabernacle, uh, 
accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. You see that? He called it a like figure. And you see that the, the, uh, the you want to get a really neat you know, study sometime, go through all the different sacrifices that is described in the book of Leviticus. And what you'll find out is they all, they all uh, come back and are typified. And uh, Jesus Christ is, uh, there's a type of Jesus Christ in every one of those things. You know, the red heifer and, and, uh, and all the different sacrifices, the blood sacrifices and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, let me give you a couple things. Just, uh, just a couple, you know, questions or whatever. Just some quick little kind of like uh, one zingers. If you ever get yourself, you know, into a conversation with somebody who believes this kind of stuff. Uh, somebody who believes, you know, you're elected before the foundation of the world and, and that kind of thing. Here's one for you. Uh, is the world of John chapter 1 verse 29 the world of John chapter 17 verse 9? Now... What you find out in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Right? And then in John chapter 17, he says, he says I pray not for the world, but the ones that you gave me. You see? So they'll go to John chapter 17 and they'll say, See, look, God gives him the elect and he's not praying for the world, he's praying for his elect. Okay, well, the question then becomes, why aren't the ungodly the elect uh, when they're the ones for whom Christ died? And you reference that back to, in, into Romans, um, and Christ, uh, peradventure Christ died for the ungodly. So it's like, if, 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 if John chapter, chapter 1, uh, verse 29 is right, well, it's the same world that was back here. So whoever is elect... Well, he was either elect there or he was elect here. You can't, you got to say that Jesus Christ was contradictory. And the fact of the matter is, is he was not. Um, in Mark chapter 3, verse 29, he talks about the unpardonable sin. Well, how in the world could it be the unpardonable sin if he, was, if he wasn't elect? What's it matter? If he does the unpardonable sin, if he's not elected anyways, then the unpardonable sin is, is nothing. Why would he even mention it? That you could do something that would make it impossible for you to get saved. You see? Go to John, or excuse me, go to Matthew 22. We'll show you another one. Matthew 22.
Matthew 22, you got a, a parable, right? Jesus answered in verse 1, spake unto them by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. Right? And they would not come. You see that? Did the king decree that the sinners uh, reject the wedding garment? Because what does he say? After they, after they sent forth and they started making excuse, the Bible says in verse 5 that they made light of it and went their ways, uh, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entered them into uh, spitefully and slew them. And the king heard this, he was wroth, and sent forth his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burning up their city. Then saith to his servants, A wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and, and, uh, and as many as shall find, as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as found, both bad and good. So how could a sign of you being elect uh, be the fact whether you're bad or good, right? Fruit, uh, fruits meet for repentance. That's the lordship salvation thing. Well, if you were really elect, you would live like this. Well, why is he giving this illustration here saying whether they be bad or good? And the wedding was furnished with guests, right? And the whole thing is, is do they have this wedding garment on? And what does he say? Uh, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so what will happen? They'll take many are called or few are few chosen and they'll just skim over it like it's no big deal. Well, what does he mean? Well, uh, he uh, didn't predestinate uh, these folks to uh, you know, reject the garment. That was their decision. The Bible says that they made light of it. Let's see here. Um, oh, go to Isaiah chapter 1. This is a good one. Isaiah chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom, and give ear unto the law of God, ye people of Gomorrah. Uh, to those who... Uh, let me make sure I'm in the right spot here. Yeah. Um, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams, uh, fat fed beasts, and delight is not the blood of bullocks, um, or of lambs, or of the he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread out my 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 courts? You know what he's doing this whole time. He's uh, he's he's basically bartering with these people. These, these folks um, of Sodom and Gomorrah, if, 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 if this was a matter of, of predestination or election, then he wouldn't be calling anybody to come and reason with him. It had been predestinated before the foundation of the world. So what does he say? He says, come now, let us reason together, say the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as, as, as wool. Right? Well, why would he be... Why would he be uh, why would he ask anybody to come reason with him? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that there's something to reason about. 
Um, there's more here, but I think we'll probably not belabor the point uh, anymore. But uh, it's, 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 a simple, it's a simple thing as far as salvation is concerned. A man has to hear, right? How can he hear except there be a preacher? A man hears. Uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. A sinner hears. A sinner is then convicted, right? Cut to his heart. And the sinner makes a decision towards the Lord Jesus Christ. He accepts the, the, the free gift of salvation. And then salvation takes place. And because salvation takes place, adoption takes place. The baptism, uh, baptism into Jesus Christ takes place. He becomes bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And now everything that God had purposed in Christ Jesus to be glorified in him in eternity, you are now predestinated in Jesus Christ to be conformed to the image of his Son. And not only that, you're accepted in the Beloved. That, now, every one of your basic salvation doctrines, right, fit into that thing right there. The doctrine of imputation, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. That fits right into that, right? Not by works of righteousness that we have done, right? But God, and then, and then that thing ties all the way back to Abraham. When he says, and Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so what, does, and so what, does he, uh, what is it that you see um, in other places? You'll have that word election show up right with Abraham. Abraham and election will run, will run together. Well, when you read that stuff in Romans and you read that stuff in a couple other places where you see that word election show up when he's talking about Abraham, you know exactly what he's talking about. Because the doctrine of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ is what he's trying to show in the, in the illustration of Abraham. And the election fits right in there. How do, you become, how do you become elect? I become elect when I ask and receive Lord Jesus Christ. I elect, if I elect him, he elects me. Right? So it all fits together. So hopefully, I know ran a lot of verses. I know maybe some of this is a little bit above or you know maybe I'm not good at explaining it but um, all of this these things that we see uh, it all it all works together it's all connected and when you put that thing in the right spot you realize that your position in Jesus Christ as is illustrated in the book of Ephesians you are as in good as, uh, you are as good in heaven tonight as you'll ever be you're just, you know, someone said one time, he said, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rich, uh, I'm in rich, I'm rich in heaven, right? Because there's, there's a part of me that's rich and in heaven, right? I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. He said, I'm just, I'm just detached from my assets at the moment. <laughs> one of these days I'll be reunited with my assets and, you know, I'll, I'll be the rich man again, you know? And so, uh, uh, all that predestination stuff, all that, uh, it can be kind of confusing, but uh, hopefully that made some sense of it tonight. Anybody have any questions before we wrap up for the evening? And we went over a lot, but...